Support for the AFPT Comics Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Wouldn't you say, Forrest? I would say so. Dave, can I tell you a funny story? Yeah, go ahead. When I was on the cusp of adulthood, I want to say like 17 or 18... Yeah, I shaved my entire body because I thought it would make me go faster down water slides. Oh my god, did it on work? On vacation, on family vacation. Yeah. Um, since I have since used the Manscaped Lawn Mower 3.0, I yeah. wish that I had had that at the time. Oh no. That I was not shaving my body with a straight razor Ooh. in a pool shower. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. <laughs> you can use it on the rest of your body, too. Mm, yeah. And they just released this new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, which they were nice enough to send us. Um, when I tell you it's premium, I mean it is premium. The battery lasts up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave, and the water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. No word here on whether or not it allows you to go faster down water slides, but I have to assume it does because while I was itchy, I went pretty fucking quick. <laughs> Freshly shaved body and chlorine is a bad mix. So if you decide to use the lawnmower 3.0, you may want to do it the day before you go to the water park. You know, I heard Howard Hughes wanted one of these to make his plans go faster. And if you want to go faster, uh, you can get 20% off and free shipping. You just need to use the code AIPT20. That's AIPT20. You put it in after you put your, your order in your basket and go into the checkout. Just AIPT20. Check that out. Manscapes.com is where it's at. Hello and welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast, episode 79. We are pursuing perfection here, folks. My name is David Brooke. And uh, I'm with my co-host here, who just did a fantastic job with the Manscaped ad. (laughs) (laughs) Telling my very personal story about shaving my entire body. Um, Hello, my name is Forrest with two R's, and I am excited to talk about comics this week. Actually, two comics in particular I really like, so I'm excited to get into it. Yes, in our Top Books of the Week segment, I think? Yes. No, I'm just going to do it right now. (laughs) Tell us the comics you like, and then just leave. And then I'll I'll just go through the news by myself all alone. Uh, One of these days, I'm going to shave my whole body so I can talk quicker on this show and get through it faster. Uh, Before I do, though... That makes sense. (laughs) Aerodynamic, yep. Uh, This is the comic book news, review, and interview show. Uh, This week, we don't have a guest, but you know what? We're going to fill a segment with something uh, that will be enlightening and interesting, I assure you. Uh, But to start the show, we always talk about the news and the top... Top news of the week. Steve Jeppy announces he is reassuming his role of president for the Diamond Comics distributors. And that is um, the parent company is Jeppy Family Enterprises. And it's only been about 12 months, I think, since he stepped down as president. If that, you know there was a transitional period. Yes. And so the news comes... As a bit of a surprise, but not really, because there's been a lot of unrest lately for Diamond. Uh, the biggest probably being DC Comics saying goodbye forever. <laughs> and, yes. uh, but also the pandemic has likely stressed the entire system, and it's also increased the cost to ship. Yeah, I think it has also just kind of exposed the inherent problems in Diamond's system. Mm-hmm. Things that people have been calling out for a long time. I mean... 20 years but that have been really um 
stressed by the pandemic. It's the nicest way I can say that. Yeah, I mean, they halted shipment and one might assume Jeppy's taking over again because of that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's he clearly understands the industry and he understands the business. But I also think that at this point, um, especially with the fact that they're charging LCS is these increased predatory shipping rates. Mm-hmm. Um, he's seen DC and Lunar and Midtown and stuff coming down the road. And he's quite frankly, I think he's positioning himself to just gut the industry <laughs> or gut what they have, what diamond has left. Yeah. Um, because this last couple months has really um, highlighted how bad of a problem it is, how bad, di- how bad diamond is how bad they are with finances and with production and shipping. And then also, I, I don't know. There's a lot of problems. We've, we've talked about them before. It shows that they're not reliable. That's for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a good way. So the Hollywood reporter did a story basically interviewing local comic shops and they've discovered that uh, shipping has gone up six to 10% and mm-hmm. on some weeks, 25% more for shipping. Yeah. Now, some people could postulate, oh, it's because DC left and now they have less to ship or, you know, the pandemic has made it harder to ship because they have to keep things clean. I don't know. But it is a terrible time to be increasing shipping costs on comic book shops because they already have almost no money coming in. People, most states, you can't even go to a comic book shop still. And on top of that, they just went through three months of having nothing on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, that at that percent, especially anything that approaches double digits, percent increases, you're pretty much eliminating the LCS's profitability margin. Right. They're already making so like little on every comic book. Yeah. And they're not making a lot. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah, this is interesting news. I, I, I'd like to see maybe Jeppy will make some move now that he's president. I doubt it, though. I mean... I mean, I, how how no. how did he really not have power when he wasn't president? I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, that's the. Uh, I mean, he's obviously very connected. He's been the face of it for a long time. I think it was always obvious that the back the comeback thing was postulating. Sure. It was fake. His posturing, yeah. and and this doesn't surprise me at all. I honestly think that he's just trying to either he's gonna use some sort of momentum, probably from the back the comeback thing, to pay off the debts that Diamond has. Mm-hmm. and then continue operating because DC loaned them a ton of money within the year that they still owe DC. Right. And the original offer was like, we're going to send you like $1,200 a month, just like 1% of what they owe DC. Yeah. Um, and or he's just looking to extract as much money out of this as he can and then shudder. That's I just, don't know, man. He's been around for like 30 years. Else. He wants his legacy to, to stop overnight. I think that he is the kind of person that would gladly take a buyout. I mean, he's he's not a young chicken either. Spring chicken, I, I should say. <laughs> young chicken, spring chicken. I mean, he's, you know, he's very into the um, mega yeah. scene. The, I'm sure he's a friend of comic skaters. So those business practices do not necessarily surprise me. Well, it's uh, more bad news for Diamond as Marvel has revealed 21 of their Empire tie-ins are not coming out. They're uh, strict. They're sp- yeah, this gets kind of sad. Yeah, they're stripping the, uh, the the big summer event down uh, quite a bit because usually there's like 80 to 100 books when it comes to these events, which we've both uh, commented on being kind of crappy. Uh, but if you're into the event, that's a great thing. You get more content and more importantly, become book creators, get more work. So that means mm-hmm. yeah. 21 plan tie-in issues. That means 
one writer, one artist typically, and a colorist and a letterer now don't have work. And then if there are variant covers as well. Yeah. Though tie-in issues don't often get as many variant covers. Um, yeah, I think right when the pandemic started, there were quite a few artists and writers that tweeted something along the lines of, just got a pencils down order. Mm -hmm. But they didn't necessarily say who or what it was mm -hmm. on. And I think you can infer now that it was Marvel. At least in some cases. Since on the flip side of that, people were saying, oh, I actually, DC gave me some variant covers that I got to right, do. Right, right. You know? Yeah, it seems like DC did a better job giving people work. Yeah, and, and Boom and Image and IDW, for all of their myriad faults, which there are plenty, um, seem to do well as well. And they actually got their books out fairly quickly. Yeah, that's true. So, so uh, you won't be getting Empire Thor, Empire Ghost Rider, Empire Spider-Man, Empire Squadron Supreme, Empire Storm Ranger... Empire, Invasion of Wakanda, The Union, and Strike Force number 10. All of those were scrapped. Mm -hmm. I was kind of excited for that Wakanda one. Yeah. And I'll always check out Spider-Man. I obviously. was excited for Empire Thor since it was Ram V and uh, Pasquale Ferry. Yeah, that's quite yeah. a team. Um, I don't know. Uh, since we're talking about Empire, uh, Empire State of Mind, Forrest and I's column, is coming back next week. Um, I have no promises as far as how many more columns there'll be, but I know there'll be one more, <laughs> at least. There will be 21 <laughs> less. Yeah, there'll be 21 less columns, that's right. We, uh, if you don't know, we, uh, Forrest and I co-wrote co a, uh, a column called Empire State of Mind in April. We did four columns, basically interviewing, uh, or sorry, us and the fans on Twitter who submitted questions got to interview creators for upcoming Empire books and tie-ins. And we had Al Ewing and Tom Brevard on. And uh, upcoming next week, if you go to our Twitter at AIPT Comics, um, you can actually ask a question to Dan Slott. And if it's a good question, we'll select it. And uh, it'll get answered mm -hmm. by Dan Slott right before Empire Number 1 comes out on July 15th. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm excited to have that back. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm glad we can get at least one more column in before the event starts. You know, I think Empire is pretty interesting. And I think that with Al Ewing at the helm, that they're positioning it to be something monumental mm -hmm. for the next year of marvel comics either mm -hmm. way um and i am looking forward to it i like guardians you know and if that's any indication obviously like uh immortal hulk as well and if that's any indication too then there's some good shit in there i am bummed about the loss of work but i i'm glad to see that they found a way to get empire to keep on track empire avengers number zero which came out about a week or two ago now mm -hmm. was pretty good it reminded me that like the avengers can be as uh interesting and complex as the x-men or spider-man like it's a it's an ip that i think marvel tends to not uh hold up well enough sometimes Dep yeah and it feels like they're, yeah. it's getting back into the limelight and it's getting the attention it deserves uh empire fantastic four number zero comes out this week um which sheds light on the precursor to the event uh and hey it's nice to see the fantastic four kind of central to an event again yeah we'll see scott lobdell is stepping down from red hood with red hood number 50 red hood outlaw i believe is the series title now um, this comes after a lot of folks have come out and basically, what? How, how would you phrase it? Um, I mean, there were accusations about Lobdell's repeated sexual and emotional harassment practices, right. um, particularly at DC, but also across the comics industry and at conventions. Um, he has been sheltered for some time at DC and been able to work despite the fact that people 
this is a very open secret, I would say. He's kind of the first major comics creator that I'd ever heard about in these regards, and that was years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems that either himself or DC is succumbing to pressure and removing him from the book, which will likely come with a uh, rebrand, a reboot of Red Hood as well. Yeah, I have to say, um, I reviewed the Batman Gotham Knights uh, digital first issue that came out this week, uh, and other people can write good Red Hood. <laughs> it, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have to yeah. just be Scott Lobdell, which has been the case for like, I don't know, 10 years. Right. And people don't like that book anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So... so uh, I suppose it's a good sign. I think I saw a lot of people were upset that, you know, DC didn't just flat out fire him. Um, and yeah. that he got to leave on his own terms. But I don't know. We don't know the circumstances. And I, I agree with that. I think that we don't know what happened behind no. the scenes. You know, sometimes a person is forced to, to resign. Right. And, and that may have been what happened, though. DC didn't in, initially release a statement or any kind of... Um, letter in the same way that Dark Horse did, saying that they were going to restructure some of their stuff, already legally required or not. It was interesting on Scott Lobdell's Instagram like announcement. He said uh, that he's been writing this character, Red Hood, for 10 years on a book telling the story of a tragically flawed man in search of redemption. Uh-huh. People were reading into that uh-huh. as if he was talking about himself. <laughs> so full of himself. Uh, also in the news, uh, somewhat comics-related, uh, Jeff Johns, Joss Whedon, and Jim Lee ended up uh, coming out uh, in the news as perpetrators of uh, harassment. Uh, and- yeah, I think that that's fair to say. I, You know, obviously Lobdell's um, was kind of the inciting incident here, but a lot of people see DC as a place that harbors abusers and um and the, whether that be emotional or sexual harassment or abuse or um, misuse of power which is widespread throughout the industry but a lot of people um then shifted to talking about inappropriate things jeff johns has done in the comics industry and then um also there was a cast member of justice league that said josh whedon was a terror to work with yeah. um, and he has some well-documented history with infidelity and abuse and sexism um reaching all the way back to Buffy and that Jeff basically protected him on the set and from um, prying interests. And then also some folks, um, you know, I think are rightfully laying this at Jim Lee's feet and saying, dude, you're in this position where you need to restructure this. Yeah. You need to fix it. Like, why is Bob Harris there? Why is Scott Lobdell there? Why was Eddie Berganza there for so long? Mm-hmm. Cause these aren't secrets and people share their experiences time and time again. Sometimes they're included in the same wave that happens every couple of years. And these women, primarily women and marginalized people, have to relive their experiences. And that sucks to just kind of be shouting it into the void when you see action taken in other places and not at D.C. Um, A woman in particular shared an experience of going to a Jim Lee Q&A with questions about those exact issues. And prior to being able to ask the questions, being escorted mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, very telling, I think. Yeah, the uh, the Justice League guy was uh, Ray Fisher, this, who played Cyborg. And in his words, he said, Joss Whedon was enabled by Jeff Johns and the other producer, John Berg. What's wild to me is, like, this news comes out earlier this week, and then the very next day, Warner Brothers announces the Frosty the Snowman movie's coming out. <laughs> Which is going to star uh, Jason Momoa, and it's being produced by Berg and Jeff Johns. Right. 
And it made, it made me wonder one of two things. Either the press release was going to go out no matter what and no one stopped it. Or they were trying to like cover up this negative news by saying, look, a new movie. It's shiny and great and it's Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, if more, as we see with the protests, if more people rise up and voice their concerns and, and make them themselves heard, hopefully something will happen. But again, we've said this on the show, maybe it would require us to stop buying uh, products from you know, pu- publishers yeah, we don't agree I, with. You know, voting with your wallet is a byproduct of capitalism right. and it's broken in many sure. ways. But um, yeah, I do think that people need to demand accountability. Right. And that's across the spectrum, whether you're on the street protesting for Black Lives Matter or you're posting about your experiences in the comics industry. Um, I see those as parallel, equally just movements mm-hmm. um, that are exposing problems with the way that the majority treats marginalized people. You know, Batman's Grave is coming out this week. And, yeah. I mean, part of me honestly believes Brian Hitch is probably doing more of the storytelling than Warren Ellis ever did. Because, well, first of all, a lot of it doesn't even have dialogue. It's just Batman doing cool shit. But DC isn't going to put out a statement. They're not saying anything. They're just going to release it like nothing's happened. It's kind of weird. Yeah, while removing him from other projects. Yeah. So I don't know. That's it's very strange. The Ellis thing has been very strange to watch play out, um, especially because he's kind of been selected out as this person that has done a lot of good in the comics industry too. Right. Right. Um, and I, I see an effort of people not to strip him of the good that he's done, but um, the same with Josh Whedon using this kind of feminism mantle as an excuse for all of his bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important. It, it needs to be done regardless. You need to rip off that bandaid. I know it's hard. And I know, uh, I do want to say, if we talked about this kind of at length last yeah. week, and I was processing my feelings in real time, because I was really burnt out mm-hmm. um, on this news sweeping through comics and wrestling and gaming and all sorts of other mediums, I do think that it is very important work. I do think, um, also to reiterate, that you should disengage if that is good for your mental health. Definitely. Definitely. Um, it's just a parade of bad news all the time, especially on Twitter. And I was really down about it last week. And I continue to be pretty down about it. But um, I hope that that doesn't sound like I don't think these issues are important because I do. Of, of course. You know, it's good to be IDW right now if you're a publisher because, <laughs> first of all, there's not a lot of uh, drama and, and, and uh, deviancy mm. going on that we know of. But uh, also... You know, if you're a Judge Dredd fan, this is the time to be alive because they are opening a Judge Dredd Mega City experience in London, so spring cool. 2021. It's so cool, man! I wish that Americans like Judge Dredd as much as it is popular over yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, I I like the last Judge Dredd movie. I I oh yeah. What's his yeah. name? Uh, Bones. There, he's really good in it. Keith yeah. Urban. <laughs> yeah, Carl Urban. Carl. Keith Urban, yeah. His brother. It's his brother. <laughs> Uh, Carl Urban smells very good. We met him at Comic-Con. He was very nice. So yeah, London's Crystal Maze Live experience. Um, It looks a lot like, if you've ever been to like San Diego Comic-Con or a big con, they sometimes take over a section and like make it into, like make your comic dream into reality. And it seems like it's sort of like that. It's not a humongous section. Uh, It looks like it might be able to fit maybe 200 people based on how many rooms there are. It looks like there's three or four rooms fairly large rooms that are basically different you know sections of a mega city like the streets the slums and then it looks like some sort of prison or scientific a area yeah. with slides for some reason <laughs> yeah, yeah I, re- I really like judge red a lot 
and this is very cool. I would be glad to have it here. I actually read 2000 AD and the Judge Shred magazine pretty much every week, though we don't talk a lot about it on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a great fondness for it. And, like, Americans, we should embrace it because it is such an easy way to talk about fascism. I just feel like Sylvester Stallone ruined it for us. <laughs> that might be true. <laughs> that might be uh, true. Some more news in the... Uh, well, no, this is some new news in the you know, no-duh uh, category. But uh, yeah. Marvel Comics is coming out with some Mandalorian comic books and books and other uh, uh, things. They're, they're basically branching off the show, which is getting a season two this year sometime. Uh, apparently they got it all filmed right before the pandemic really struck, uh, which is great news for us if we like the show. Uh, but anyway. I did like the show quite good, a bit. Right? Um, it's good, Yeah, it's like some of the best Star Wars media in a really long time. Jon Favreau really gets it. And I think having uh, Dave Filoni there to help as well. Those guys really get it. It's really a lot of fun. I hope that they have them in the fold or have at least run certain stories by them to turn into the comics. Yeah, if you if you watch the Mandalorian documentary, you can see the passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and clarity of vision. It's a cool thing. So I think they should reveal that Baby Yoda is actually Jabba's baby in the comic. What do you think? Hot take. <laughs> that won't make anyone mad. So uh, Disney, speaking of Disney, Disney Plus has uh, revealed three panels they're going to be hosting at the STCC Comic-Con at Symbol Home uh, this summer, which is taking place when Comic-Con was supposed to be taking place, uh, which is July uh, 22nd to 26th. And it's comics really, it's not necessarily that comics related, but it is because one of their panels is called Marvel 616, uh, which is going to basically have... What's his name? Paul Shear, who has been doing a Marvel's like a Marvel online show for the last couple mm-hmm. months. Yeah, he's been doing a podcast with them. He's basically going to be um, co-hosting this panel, which is going to be a virtual and free panel everyone can watch. And I guess the point of this is to just I don't know talk about how great Marvel comics are. Synergy. <laughs> uh, our uh, science editor at AAPT uh, Dog he was telling us on Slack the other day how hilarious this is because. Marvel's been trying to get away from the 616 numbering for a while, according to Dog, and now they're just going to put it right there on the panel. Yeah, it was a big part of kind of Secret Wars to undo all of that. Um, And I think, like, they're just afraid of making continuity too strict Mm -hmm. and canonicity and all of that stuff. I do hope that they use this um, as a way to show off some of the Disney Plus Marvel shows that are coming. Yeah, they must, right? I mean... We've right. seen logos. We've seen the Moon Knight. We've seen the She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Give us some, maybe some art. G- give me another WandaVision trailer. Oh, yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's probably yeah. already filmed too, right? Other big Marvel news. Damn, Marvel's just killing it this week with news. Um, they uh, revealed that they are going to be taking back Alien and Predator. Uh, f- well, not taking mm-hmm. back necessarily, because it was always a Fox pro- property, 20th Century Fox, which Dark Horse has been using uh, since the late 80s to make comic books, and... Well, Disney bought Fox, so now Marvel gets to, to publish Alien and Predator comics in 2021. Yes, so that's starting January 1st, 2021, which means the Dark Horse will still be able to put out their adaptations of the original Predator and Alien scripts. Right, which... Which are already solicited. Solicited, and they were supposed to come out by now, but they, uh, of course, have been delayed. Yeah, they've been rescheduled. What's cool is uh, IGN had the scoop on this, the exclusive scoop, and David Finch did two pieces of art one showing Predator holding Iron Man's helmet with like a really creepy like uh, 
spine coming out of the helmet. And then Alien is uh, hanging out in the Guardians of the Galaxy spaceship. Mm. So IGN did say that Marvel has not confirmed or denied that they will be having these aliens fight our favorite superheroes anytime soon. It was just a cool way to show yeah. that they've taken them on. I kind of, I'm kind of imagining that it'll be a brief blip. Yeah. Um, the same way that there was like a ton of Conan tie-ins right. or Conan showing it up in other comics, right? When they got the property mm-hmm. back, but then they'll kind of return to their own um, individualized channels, or I hope they do anyway. Obviously, AVP. I would also love to see a crossover with Warhammer 40k now that they have that as well. All right. Um, Kieran Gillen writing Space Marines versus Xenomorphs is kind of a dream. I saw someone. I've saw a lot of a lot of hot takes. Like I want to see Wolverine v you know predator i want to see this and that yeah one hot take i saw that was really good i thought was alien implants egg in wolverine it bursts out of him it doesn't kill him of course because he has a healing factor but now it's an alien logan hybrid wolverine. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i saw some people like oh no they're gonna reveal that xenomorphs are symbiotes right or what if, what if the brood the brood yeah. were always aliens oh, yeah that <laughs> yeah, Marvel has the Brood, Warhammer 40k has Tyranids, and now Xenomorphs. You could just do like an Aliens versus Aliens versus Aliens thing. Like the more this happens, I want. I wish Stanley was still alive. Because what if Stanley came out and was like, "Oh yeah, the Brood was just a ripoff of so and so." I don't know. I don't even know if that's true. Because it yeah. could be that the Brood were before the Alien movies. I'm not sure. They were oh, not. Okay. Well, there you go. In our last bit of news, um, artist Brent Schoonover uh, revealed on Friday that he actually did a bunch of art for a Hamilton comic book adaptation. Can you believe this? Uh, it was colored by Kelly Fitzpatrick, and he basically, he, re- he revealed not only some sketch designs, but also some interior art from the Hamilton comic book that never was. Uh, based on his tweets, he doesn't get into it too deeply, but based on his tweets, he makes it sound like they ran into some kind of maybe licensing issues because he mentions that they tried to move ahead with using actor likenesses, but decided that wasn't the course to go. So it sounds like they were trying to get around having to maybe pay actors for their likenesses for the book. And then at some point they were yeah. like, ah, oh, this is a bad idea. Let's not do this. Or this is expensive. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, it kind of, I mean, ties back into intellectual property rights, just like the, the Alien and Predator news does, which is someone always owns that option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, someone always has the right to give you the go-ahead or to pull it away from you. I, I imagine the actors that were, you know, in the original Hamilton, they have different kinds of contracts than a movie actor does, right? So they can't right. just put yeah. Mel Gibson in a comic book or whatever. Uh, I don't know why I chose Mel Gibson <laughs> as the option. <laughs> uh, if you go to aptcomics.com, you can check out the news. and Or if you just go to Brent Schoonover's Twitter, you can see some of these pages. It's kind of neat if you read it, like the actual uh, page laid laid out with characters singing in word balloons i it fascinates me because it's like if this ever came out would people open this book and sing with it and on top of that maybe it was that's actually kind of a cool thing because then when you're watching hamilton which is on disney plus now you could have opened this book up and like sang along (laughs) yeah it's a wild idea i wonder if there's some rights tied into also using the script and not just the likenesses could be i mean there has to be I mean, let's be honest. Copy, copyright has broken this country. Yeah, it has. This was coming out years ago, I guess. They were trying to get it to come out. Maybe also, like, you know, at the time, you, you had to pay like $900 to see Hamilton. Somebody was probably like, don't put this comic out. It's going to reduce our yeah. profits. I mean, 
Broadway should be significantly more accessible anyway. I hope he got paid anyway. I'm sure he did. I mean, they must have to, like, give them some cash. In our next segment, we're going to be talking about what our favorite webcomic or zine is. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if you know this, but there are a ton of free-to-read webcomics online. Just creators that every day or twice a week or whatever, once a week even, they just, they make a comic, they put it out, and they carry on. And it's a great way for artists to not only get better at what they do, but also to create a fan base. And a lot of these webcomics have been turned into graphic novels or collections. Mm -hmm. I could name a million, like uh, Poorly Drawn Lines, which is my favorite webcomic. It's gotten two books, I think. Uh, Poorly Drawn Lines is basically like a newspaper cartoon um it's a it's a three to six pa- panel comic every i think it's every day um and man that's a commitment it's a hilarious book i actually reviewed the first uh collected edition on amput a couple years ago it's there's a bear there's a bird it's very simple simple art but it's just so funny and kind of weird if you have like a like a weird sense of humor where uh, you see, like, there's a one comic I just I love so much. There's these cavemen, and they're really mad. And this alien shows up. They start throwing their spears at him. And then the last panel is him just giving them the bird. But the way the expression on the alien is, and he's just, like, zipping away, it's, like, <laughs> it's like funny. Like, this intelligent being in these cavemen and just had this spat, and then he just zips off. It's It's a great way to, like, just kind of disconnect from reality when... You've got a bird talking about how, you know, birds can't go to space and I'm going to show them that they can. And it's silly. It's also nice to have something that's built into your schedule like oh, that, right? And webcomics are totally different in that regard in that sometimes they're shorter. Like you're saying, one of my favorites is Three Word Phrase by Ryan Peckin, which has since ended. Um, though I do think he posted some follow-up ones. Um, but that's only like four panels every day or every week. Yeah. Um, it's much easier to keep up with that than it is, like, individual issues from Marvel and DC, and um, OGNs also take a very long time to come out. So, Webtoon is, like, on top of it. Oh, yeah? there's It's some of the most trafficked websites in the world right now. Um, so, it's very cool. I think it's cool that people are able to build them into their daily routines, mm-hmm. and also because you can't... Although you can backtrack, I guess. There's a back catalog. But you can't necessarily read ahead. I've seen very sustained, active conversations around webcomics in a way that you don't necessarily see for other properties. It is interesting. We're in this binge culture, and webcomics are kind of opposed to that, isn't it? I mean... Yeah, they are. I mean, because it's the artist's prerogative, right? Mm -hmm. And whether that be if it's just a webcomic that you post on Twitter every day... Or not even every day. Um, I love ones Kate Leth's Valley Ghouls, I think it's called, and then um, also Close Your Eyes and Look at the Mountains. Um, two great ones that are often posted just on social media are often usually just four panels. Um, not a lot of artistic effort, though. I don't want to downplay that going into them. Just a funny little story, or or a deeply affecting personal story, um, and and it shirks that continuity thing almost completely and effortlessly right it's interesting like with the death of newspapers it seems like web comics rose up didn't it right yeah yeah and that's the only reason i like the newspaper to begin with <laughs> me too me too of course it's the first thing you read. um another one another one that i wanted to call out was kill six billion demons mm. 
by Tom Parkinson Morgan, um, who actually writes and draws it under the web name Abaddon. It's about a young woman named Allison Ruth who obtains a powerful magic item. When her boyfriend is kidnapped, she ends up going to this kind of underworld, supernatural world. Um, it's ruled by these massive, powerful gang boss demons. And she has to kind of survive and learn to fight them to save her boyfriend. Um, it began as like a choose-your-own-adventure mm-hmm. thread on like a Microsoft Paint storytelling yeah. forum. Um, and has since become a standalone webcomic and then also um, an image comics published print compilation. Um, so no new material in those image comics prints, but it's very cool. It's got these super awesome kick-ass moments, people kicking holes through the chest of demons. Um, it's very easy to follow. It's well-written. It's funny. It's heartbreaking. It's like kind of like a fantasy Mad Max with magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also got some amazing queer representation. Nice. Um, much more so at the forefront than a lot of big two comics, at least. I actually interviewed, uh, Tom Parkinson Morgan, um, about this, uh, image comics, the image comics collection, Mm, mm -hmm. uh, back in 2016. Oh my God. How long am I doing this? (laughs) (laughs) I do like that. They put those image publishes those in a smaller format. Uh Uh-huh. That lends itself to the way that the webcomic reads. And I like that they didn't force Tom to transition it to, like, a, a more traditional comics form. Yeah. It's definitely... And then I did... <clears throat> I did mention three-word phrase earlier, but that one has kind of changed the way that internet comedy works mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It's very simple. Um, my all-time favorite is this guy looking through a scrapbook. And he says, Mom, who's the guy in this picture? And she says, who? And he says, the tiny man you're bathing in this sink. Does Dad know about this man you cleaned? Did you cheat on Dad with this guy? Oh, my God. And the mom goes, honey, that's you. You used to be a baby. That's bizarre. And the last two panels are just this guy with question marks over his head. It it reminds me of the far side. It reminds me of poorly drawn lines, what you're saying. It's just so nonsensical and, like, weird. Yeah. That's the thing about, that's so cool about webcomics. People can take you know, chances that they're not necessarily making money on every comic or every click. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter that much. It's just try, try what you want and you'll probably gain an audience if it's different. Right. Yeah. And, and that you can kind of just like, if one doesn't work, that's fine. Right. There's no long-term continuity in things like poorly drawn lines or three word phrase, though there are in things like, um, Daniel Warren Johnson did a really cool fantasy sci-fi one called space mullet. Mm. And then, um, obviously, Kill Six Billion Demons as well, which are prestige comic book experiences on the web. Right. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Poorly Drawn Lines has been going for 12 years, and... That's crazy. Prob- That's a long time. You probably time. didn't even see real success until, like, year eight, you know? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, yeah. That's that's a lot of effort. That's created by, uh, I forgot to say, Reza uh, Farzam- Farzmend. Um Going back to these creators being able to do whatever they want, there's another webcomic that I have to say is... Adults only. It's called Oglaf.com. If or if you go to that URL, you can find it. It's basically erotic fantasy comic strips that are that are mm, pretty mm-hmm. short as well. They're only like four to eight panels each, and usually they run um, just one page. But some of them are two pagers as well. <laughs> I really like the disclaimer on the website, which I'm experiencing live right oh, good. now. <laughs> That says, warning, this comic started out as an attempt to make pornography. 
it degenerated into sex comedy pretty much immediately. Yeah, and that's pretty good. You know, it's it's queer, it's it's straight, it's got everything in there. It's it's got nudity, graphic female nudity, graphic male nudity. It's got something for everybody. And if you have a sense of humor, this is the kind of comedy you can't really find anywhere. Uh, it's it's really mm-hmm. unique, and that's why I think web comics are so great, especially these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what was your, so your your main recommendation was which one? Three word phrase, and then um, that has since ended. So kill six billion demons. Nice. I've also been meaning to get into Lore Olympus on Webtoon. I've heard a lot of people talking about that. Oh, cool! I'll have to check that out. Uh, moving on, in our usual segment, our top books of the week. We talk about our two favorite comics out this week, brand new, fresh for your eyes only. Forrest, what was your second favorite book of the week? My second favorite book of the week was a DC digital first. Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Red, number two. This was written and drawn by Mirka and Dolfo. This is the closest that I think Harley has been to the character that was in Birds of Prey Mm -hmm. that I've seen in the comics. Hmm. Um, I like that it's a kind of standalone Harley Quinn story about her frustrations with Catwoman, um, more specifically, even just her frustrations with Selina and like fandom in the DC universe online and in person. Um, it, it's just this very silly real world issues about self, uh, self image, consciousness, body image, um, and that intersection with social media. Yeah. Um, Harley kind of has this freak out that Selena is more popular than her and in a very birds of prey matter of way goes after her. And I found it very funny, very endearing. The art is nice. I do like at the beginning, there's a title treatment where Batman black and white is crossed out Mm -hmm. so that it says Harley Quinn black and white and then red underneath it. Um, but great work from this. And we didn't really talk about these before, but this is kind of in general and a really interesting thing that DC is doing with this digital first Harley Quinn story that's written and drawn by someone else every issue. Yeah, and this would be 14 issues. Yeah, and this is only the second, and they've, I've been really impressed by them. Yeah, I, uh, I reviewed this one for the site, and it's also my second favorite book of the week. Um, it, it, I wasn't uh, completely aware of it, but black, white, and red is literally the only colors they use in these books. <laughs> yes, and I, I guess um, an artist was saying that a couple years ago, they pitched green lantern black white and green huh, interesting so it's an idea that dc likes right this screams to me that dc was like okay uh we can't make comics so let's give people work they, they probably yeah. reached out to like a ton of people and were like hey who wants to do a harley story you can do whatever you want it doesn't have to be in canon mm-hmm. i know uh daniel kibblesmith is doing one coming up um steven sajic did the first one uh which was also really good um, I just love, I wonder if Mirka, I don't know, I should probably look this up, it's probably online somewhere, but I wonder if Mirka worked in fashion at all, because I feel like yeah. the costuming and the draping of the um, costumes in this issue are quite good, and it's really important that they are, because this book is about fashion, and about these two fashion, um, what would you call them, like, announcers? Um they host a show in the, in the uh, issue and you believe that they really are uh, into fashion because you can see it on the page. Right. Um, yeah, I'm really psyched for more of these. It's going to come out every Friday. Um, yeah, me too. I hope they collect them in a printed version after the fact. Yeah. Um, I think Jeff Lemire is also working on one, which should be interesting. Yeah, and um, 
Javier Fernandez, I think. Yeah. Mm. It, yeah, there's a lot of great really, talent at really Tacitus. And I do think, like, it's really cool, like you were saying, don't worry about it being in canon. And also the fact that a bunch of people have interesting Harley Quinn stories to tell that don't have to be informed by the Joker. Oh, totally, yep. Or even by Batman. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's nice. It is nice. She can be a strong character if you allow her to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, what is your favorite comic of the week? My favorite comic of the week is King of Nowhere number three. This is out from Boom. It was written by W. Maxwell Prince, and the art is by Tyler Jenkins and Hillary Jenkins. We've talked about it before, but King of Nowhere is kind of a postmodern fables, um, the comic series. Mm-hmm. And it explores a character named Dennis who has found his way into like a big fish-esque world um, where there's animal people and like crazy illogical talking trees and um, motels where only serial killers live and that kind of stuff. And it sounds a little silly and it is, but it's also very serious. Um, It's represented in this kind of Tyler Jenkins does this amazing like sketch work and and his uh hillary does amazing pastel watercolor work on top of it so it's a very beautiful book um and this issue in particular really kind of solidifies and ramps up the stakes that are at hand here as dennis has entered nowhere uh someone has been following him as well and indiscriminately killing them with a nail gun oh geez so you can kind of feel the plot actually cohering into something, whereas the first two issues felt a little bit more like just an artistic exploration of this weird place. Um, it's very funny, too. Like, Dennis is originally accused of being the nail gun killer, and he says, Nail gun? I can't even put up a shelf. And uh, his friend says, It's true, Al. He's very uncoordinated. I've seen it up close. Um, but then... Each issue is also grounded by a character's narration, and it's kind of delivered in this amazing poetic way. Um, and and the book balances funny bits about not being able to put up a shelf with things like, but make no mistake, it's their tenderness in a dark place, um, and this exploration of love and family and community and stuff, um, and then also this. Uh, descent that a sheriff character is going into it's very beautiful i'm very drawn into it i think it has a lot to say about the human experience um this caption really captured me it said decent people engage in despicable acts despicable acts justify decency given enough time opposing ideals become indistinguishable the snake devours its own tail Ooh, good i like that and it's dark and foreboding, but it's also heartbreaking in context. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think the book has been very well structured, very pretty, and it, it seems like it really has something to say. I uh, I got to interview uh, W. Maxwell Prince before the first issue came out, and I wanted to read mm-hmm. one one answer he gave really quick. I asked him what what's his approach, what is he trying to go for, and he said. I wanted to do a scumbag story, a comic about a guy who's just always out of his depth, always drifting through the miraculous and mundane parts of his of life in a fog. So I started with Dennis, and a world of weird stuff started to build itself around him. It's interesting. Uh, <laughs> it is, and it's interesting. I He's definitely exploring the way that people think that only that their shitty habits are only affecting their life, mm, yeah, but that it actually kind of ripples outward. Mm-hmm. Um, in a much more tangible way than it is in real life. It's a very amazing book. I'm very endeared nice. with it. Yeah, I love the weirdness of it. Um, unfortunately, I dropped it off the f- after first issue just because I don't have time. But uh, 
I have a feeling this is going to be really, really good to read uh, when it's collected. Yeah, I do want to say, too, I, I know that he said that it's centered around Dennis, but I think that this world could lend itself to kind of anthology storytelling very oh, well. Oh, interesting. And if they expanded this out, like something like Saga, which it also reminds me mm-hmm. of, um, it could go for a really long time. Yeah, the art is trippy. Yeah. Uh, my favorite comic book of the week was probably the opposite of King of Nowhere. <laughs> it's called Devil's Highway Number 1, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Brent Schoonover. Um, I say opposite because it's very much steeped in reality. It's a crime mystery thriller. Uh, there's some haunting imagery in here. There's a... It's basically a, a, a detective story. And it's about a girl who loses her father and wants to know how he died. And she starts to uncover something. Um, spoilers, she starts to uncover a cult, I think. Anyway, um, the reason why it was my favorite book of the week, even though I gave another book a 10 out of 10 uh, when I was reviewing, because I did review this as well for AFPTComics.com, it is my favorite book of the week because of Brent Schoonover's um, layout design. There's a lot of nine-panel pages in this book. Very structured, very measured, very well-paced. I was basically impressed with how well the story flows and how interested I was in every step of the mystery. Because ultimately, this is a story taking place in the middle of nowhere kind of town. We've seen this kind of mystery unfold, but it's the way it visually tells the story uh, that just drew me in. It's an example of how a comic can deliver a story no matter how ordinary the characters are and the world is. Um, And it's suspenseful. And I loved how it, it kind of... Uh, sprinkles in this haunting quality. There's definitely a noir quality to this. Even though it's not black and white, it's not all at night, but there is like a noirish vibe to it. And it's also by AWA, which is a newer comic book publisher who's basically been hitting it out of the park with every book they've published. Yeah, I was going to ask if it was the AWA book this week. I'm really interested in what they're doing. Yeah, it's solid. I, I, I recommend it. It's only five issues too, so it's not a huge commitment if you're if you're if you're uh, already tapped for how many books are coming out. Although I hear the Empire has twenty one less tie-ins. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for top books of the week. Uh, we both highly recommend the books we suggested, and we both picked the same book again. Forrest, damn it! We did. Um, there's not a lot of books coming that's out. That's true. Um, I did want to shout out uh, the final issue of Olympia, Olympia number five. Yes. Um, part of the reason that it didn't feature into my top two books of the week is that I had a hard time conceptualizing how I was going to talk about mm-hmm. it. But I will say that it's a very beautiful and badass uh, end to that miniseries. Nice. Well, you know what? Next week, Marvel and DC are both releasing practically the usual amount of books. DC's got yes. a ton. DC alone has one, two, three, one second, 19 books from DC Comics next week. That's a lot of books. So to christen the week, Forrest and I like to <laughs> talk about our top books for next week. Uh, the number one book we're looking forward to out next week. What is your number one book out next week? The number one book I'm looking forward to next week is Alienated Number 4, written by Cy Spurrier with art by Chris Wildgoose. This is a continuation of Cy and Chris's amazing miniseries about the... Changes that a couple of high schoolers are going through after coming in contact with an alien being. I like it. Ch-ch-ch-changes. You, you could have spoiled it, but you didn't. It was ex- excellent. Aliens are pretty strange. They sure are. And cute, too. And they love <laughs> potato chips. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good book. I'm very affected by it. 
Yeah, I love the captioning, the lettering. It's really, really good as well. Um, we mm-hmm. had them on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about that lettering. And I can totally see what uh, Chris Wagus was saying. Uh, uh, Jim Campbell's lettering is, is is quite strong, and the way they use the caption and like space, uh, empty space mm-hmm. on the page is really cool. Yeah, this seems like a book that was really realized before they even got the first issue mm-hmm. done. Like, it has a very clear sense of purpose and where it's going. Oh, for sure. And it's a miniseries as well. So, again, it's, like, not a huge mm-hmm. commitment if you're right. looking to pick something new up. Uh, my most anticipated book out next week is Strange Academy Number 2 by Scott Scotty Young and uh, art by Humberto Ramos. This book was supposed to come out, like, a billion years ago, man. <laughs> like, four months ago. Yeah, it was. I kind of forgot what happened in the first Strange Academy. Yeah, I... I think that this is my most anticipated book because I'm really digging what Young's doing as far as introducing these characters. Uh, I think the first issue was my favorite book of the week when we talked about it months and months ago. And I I remember saying this series feels like it's on the right track to make the X-Men, but science, or sorry, not science, uh, magic, magic. <laughs> the opposite of science, mm-hmm. um, because yeah, right. Uh, there's a really good eclectic mix of different types of characters. They're not all just human characters like Harry Potter people that want to do magic. They they actually have like magical backgrounds. They're aliens or or creatures like demons. And the first issue ends in a really emphatic moment where Doctor Strange gets to show up and f- they get to all kind of chip in and fight this giant monster. So it was a great cliffhanger too. It'll be it'll be curious to see how folks react because it's been so long since the first issue. I I hope most people go back and re reread the first issue just because because you're not just picking this up after four months of not knowing what what was going on. I forget everything. Do you think that Marvel should add extra pages that explain what happened? Ooh, that's a good idea. I mean, they already had. That probably increases the cost. They already had. They already used the one page to do yeah. that. But you're yeah. right. They, they it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt to put an extra page in. And we've yeah. seen DC, they're putting in those six feet stay apart from each other in every issue now as well. So right, what's yeah. one more page? In our next segment, Judging by the Cover Junior, we're going to talk about our favorite cover art on books out next week. My favorite cover art is from Detective Comics number 1024. It's by Brad Walker. It's got Joker straddling Batman. <laughs> it sounds so dirty when I say it. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty up close on Joker. He fills the page. If you go to aptcomics.com and look at this podcast post, you can see it. The detailing and the clothing, the like uh, shadow work by Hennessy, uh, the inks are just phenomenal. It looks very realistic. There's also a really cool uh, knock knock effect where Joker's actually knocking on Batman's head. Yeah, the motion on yeah, it's pretty dope. Yeah, it's cool. The detailing in Joker's face, like. This is not a human being. Like he looks like a monster. His giant smile, the wrinkles in his around his eyes, and it's also a dialogue cover, which is cool. I like. I always like those. Knock knock. He says, "Who's under there?" Batman's bloody and clearly pissed off. Um, I also <laughs> love these shoes. It's, looking, it's actually looking a little Judge Dreddish. Uh, it's got the giant lower jaw. He does, right? It's a cool cover. I really like Brad Walker's work. I've loved him since um, he did a Etrigan the demon uh comic and that's where i really realized how talented he was and he, i swear to god he gets better with every issue it's, it's he's really good i think marvel should hire him as exclusive <laughs> marvel marvel are you listening <laughs> what is your favorite cover art of the week my favorite cover art of the week is the sky is blue with a single cloud this is a collection of stories by kuniko sarita um, the cover features a woman on a motorcycle driving towards, um, or potentially stopped 
as this um, beautiful blue sky is uh, filled with what looks like the uh, mushroom cloud of an atomic bomb. Ooh, scary. And it's very simple. It's very pop art, um, Rob Lichtenstein style. The sky is blue with a single cloud imposed over the top of the image. But um, there's a great sense of beauty marred by something being wrong here. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very effective, simple storytelling, only using a couple of elements. Nice. Yeah. Both of our covers have some blue in them. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> in our last segment, our always last segment, Off Topic Top Shelf, this week Forrest gets to tell you what he's into right now that's not comics related. Yeah. So I have been into this um, website called GeoGuessr. It's a great way to um, de-stress between work meetings, especially since you have to sit at your computer all day. Oh, right so now. you like study rocks? Yeah. Yes. Oh, you didn't say geode, did you? With a D? <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible joke. Oh my god. <laughs> what is GeoGuessr? Um, so it is a great way to de-stress um, when you're sitting at home working um, from your home computer all day or wherever you may be. Um, it is basically a point system that has been built around Google Maps. So you can choose like the whole world or the European Union or famous buildings or just the United States or even just a specific state like California. Um, you get five rounds. You get to click around Google Maps, um, and they're up-to-date Google Maps, usually 2019 to 2020. You get to click around as much as you want, zoom in on signs, and click down the roads and stuff like that. And then um, there's a map of the United States or the entire world, wherever it may be, and you need to drop a pin where you think you are. Uh-huh. And you get points for the closer you are. So how close can you get? Can you get with, like, an in inches? I have... Uh, I think it's usually yards. Okay. So I have gotten within a couple of yards, um, and that's mostly when I'm doing my home state. Nice. I know where things are exactly. Uh, but I've had some pretty lucky guesses on others, too. You'll learn a lot about, like, what the undeveloped parts of America look like, which has been a lot of fun for hmm. me. Like, I've done the United States quite a few times, and I don't think people really understand that most of America is actually on the coast. Mm, yeah, it's very empty. Um, so you just get dropped in these kind of desolate, giant farm areas, um, and you need to kind of piece together where you are. And Nebraska looks like Southern California, looks like Northern Texas. Um, it's very difficult, challenging, and fun. And you kind of learn a lot about the country, too. Yeah, especially now that we're all stuck inside. Right. Um, there is a multiplayer mode, so you can challenge other people with a link to score the most points. Um, there's a single-player mode, which is what I usually do, and um, you can set a time limit. You get more points if you do it within a time limit um, or not. But it's been a lot of fun. Nice. That's really cool. I'm going to have to check that out. And it's 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 pretty cheap, too, yeah? Yeah, it's $1.99 a month, I think. Cool. Uh, for all the features. Jeez, that's less than a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the end of our show. Thanks for sharing, Forrest. Yeah. So if you made it this far, please like, subscribe, review the podcast, share it with your friends. And wear your mask. And wear your mask. Definitely wear your mask. And uh, stay safe out there. Uh, I know it's 4th of July weekend. Uh, don't blow your hand off. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. See ya.